right, good morning. Hope everyone's doing well. Exciting to be here on a Sunday when it's not raining. Amen. Beautiful day outside. Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue there to see how the Lord equips his church. And today I am committed to reading all of chapter 10 for us. That means I'm going to have to preach fast, right? So no silly stories, no jokes. I'm not going to try to be fancy. We're just going to get right to it. Is everybody okay with that? I do need to mention a couple things, though. This Wednesday, we will not have any Wednesday night activities here in the life of our church. This is spring break week, so we'll have a week off, give our volunteers a week off, and everyone that is a part. By God's grace, just to have you know, on Wednesday nights here over the last semester, we've been around 1,000 people here on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night, from the babies all the way up. Isn't that a blessing? And so we're thankful for that. That takes a lot of volunteers and a lot of work and a lot of things. So we're happy to give them a week off this week for spring break and other things. So we will not have that this week. Remember, one of my favorite uh, days of the year in the life of our church is coming up here April 1st. No fooling. That is Love Taylor's Day. Is that right? Am I the, is that right? Good. Yes, Love Taylor's Day, April 1st. No jokes. Uh, man, what a blessing it is. Last year, over 600 of us went out into our community to serve our community in countless different projects. Uh, our, our, my dear friend, Miss Kathy Doherty, leads this up for us and so thankful for her and the work she does. A lot of hard work going into it, project after project. You can sign up for this. One of the things I always uh, want to be able to say is if Taylor's uh, First Baptist Church were to cease to exist, would our community know it? And ultimately, we've got to be able to say yes, because we serve in our community, we live in our community, we act in our community. So this is a great opportunity for us to do this on April 1st. And then, of course, we have the next week is our Easter week, our Lord's Supper, Good Friday service at noon on that Friday, and then we look forward to our time together on Easter Sunday. A lot of that is coming up, beautiful spring weather, excited about what the Lord's doing, and we look to Acts chapter 10, and one of the great passages really in the New Testament, the passage where the gospel goes to the Gentiles. We're continuing here with Peter and his work, having seen last week those two healings that took place, and now we continue with Peter as he is uh, going to be met by a man named Cornelius. So if you will, committed to walking through the text together, we're going to read all of Acts chapter 10. And so um, I just ask you to follow along with me. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and the devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. 
And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him, and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter, lifting him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter 
was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised and who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone without withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for our time together. God, what a powerful passage of how you have orchestrated salvation, not just for the Jews, but for all who would believe. And so, God, today we stand in this church, Taylor's First Baptist, 2023, we stand as a testimony to your saving power for the nations. And so, God, may you be exalted here today. May your son be magnified and lifted up. May your spirit be at work to apply your truth to every single heart. For, Father, we are dependent upon you. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our passage, we have the third of what some have called watershed events in the book of Acts. And and if we remember some of these, Acts chapter 2 obviously was the first. It was the pouring out of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Others have said the conversion of Saul because of his influence in taking the gospel to the nations in Acts 9 was that second event. And what we mean by watershed, of course, is that idea that, that once this happens, everything is different after it. And here we have the third, Acts chapter 10, how the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Even here, you see the amazement of the Jews as that is proclaimed. Even the Gentiles believe and have the Spirit. And so this passage is shifting everything. After Acts chapter 10, really nothing will be the same again in the history of the church of Jesus Christ. And this should not surprise us. And here... I think as we look to this, I want us to note just three points from our passage. And and here we find the first one. God's salvation has always been for all people. God's salvation has always been for all people. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we find the formation of the nation of Israel. God had called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldeans and He had given him a promise there in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. In fact, there were three promises there. One, he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land, and I am going to bless you. And from that point on, there was this this simple distinction in Scripture. From Genesis 12 on, there, there are only two kinds of people, the Jews who were created by God through Abraham and his line, and the Gentiles who were not separated out by Abraham and his line. So either you were born into that line, you were a Jew, or you are a Gentile, not a part of those people, right? And so that's the only major distinction we find in Scripture at all. But even in the formation of the nation of Israel, there is this promise in Genesis chapter 12. There in verse 3, after God makes and creates these promises with Abram and makes this nation and gives them these blessings, he says, in you, Abram, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
even there in the very beginning in the formation of the nation of Israel is a promise that not only will God make them a great nation, give them a lamb and bless them, but through them, all the nations will be blessed. The nations were there in the mind of God at the very formation of the people of Israel in Genesis chapter 12. And even as the story of the formation and the continuation of Israel goes on, there hints throughout all of the Old Testament that this salvation that will come will come for everyone, not just for the Jews. Like in Psalm 67, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. As Psalm 67 is calling us to repentance and faith, he says, the nations will be glad and sing for joy. Or like Isaiah 11, which is a, a clear statement of the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. In Isaiah 11, this coming Messiah will be a signal for all nations. He is a light for everyone. In fact, Isaiah will tell us that the light of the coming Christ will be so bright, it's greater than just for the Jews. It's for everyone to see. These promises throughout Scripture give us this hint that it's not just the Jews that, that the Lord is going to come and save. It's, it's all peoples through his Messiah. And if you fast forward then to the end, Revelation chapter 7, one of those great passages in all of Scripture of Revelation 7 where John gets this vision looking into heaven. And as he looks into heaven around the throne, it tells us, he says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As John looks around the throne, he sees every nation. All tribes, all peoples, all languages are there. So as we look to the end of all things, we recognize that God's design from the very beginning has been to bring all nations, all languages, all tribes to himself to worship. In other words, the gospel going to the Gentiles was not plan B in the Lord's great and glorious plan. It was not a secondary thought. It was not a parenthesis as some may have offered. It was not something that the Lord said, well, since the Jews have turned away, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles in the sense that that, that didn't work. Let me go with somewhere else. From the very beginning, God's plan was to save and redeem his people, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. And here in Acts 10, God particularly is going to begin to bring this plan about to reach all peoples. We've seen this already in Acts, by the way. Acts 1 gives us the hint of it. This gospel, you were to be my witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth. Everywhere you were to be my witnesses. Or Acts 2, as they gather in Pentecost, the nations had come. As you look at the list of those nations in Acts chapter 2 that were there at Pentecost. Or in Acts chapter 8, you see that Ethiopian eunuch who was saved and, and, and brought into faith. And then, of course, Acts chapter 9, Saul was redeemed and saved. And the Lord tells him, you're going to be my missionary to the Gentiles yourself. And here in Acts chapter 10, God the Father's plan. 
His eternal plan before the foundations of the world, as Ephesians 1 tells us, is in action. But please note, God is not moving away from his people Israel here. He's not leaving them behind. That's not what he's doing at all. God is not moving away from his people Israel. He's beginning to clearly define who his people are in Acts chapter 10. Who truly belongs to him. And he begins with a man named Cornelius. Cornelius is a centurion, a soldier of Rome, of the Italian cohort. Uh, this means he was an officer, if you will. He was from Italy, around Rome himself. These were the most elite, the most trustworthy. One of the great changes in the Roman Empire is whenever they conquered a nation uh, for some time, they would, they would take the army of that nation and put them all to death. But then it was changed by a, a, a Caesar there where when they would conquer, they would take that army and they would give them a choice. You can serve Rome or you can be put to death. And many of them would choose to serve Rome. And, and he would take these leaders of the Italian cohort and he would put them in charge there of those armies. And here, this one, Cornelius, would have been one of the great officers of Rome, this, this elite, most trustworthy of officers. But it tells us more than that. He's a, a God-fearer. Remember, Judaism is not a missionary religion. They weren't looking to create more Jews. You were only born into this. For someone to become a Jew was virtually impossible if they're born a Gentile. It could not happen. But there were Gentiles who believed in the God of Israel. They believed that this, this truth was there. They saw the works that he did. They saw the, the, the power of his name. And so those Gentiles who believed in that God and that salvation may come from him, they were known as God-fearers. And those God-fearers would come to the temple and they would pray just as Cornelius does. They would give alms to the Jews out of respect just as Cornelius does. In fact, it tells us that Cornelius prayed continually to God. It was during this time of prayer that God came to him. In fact, it tells us here in this passage about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God came to him. It was during this time of prayer as, as he's fearing God that the Lord comes to him. And the Lord says, I have heard your prayers. What a testimony for us, right? The God of the universe hears the prayers of his people, but the God of the universe even hears the prayers of the Gentiles. And he says, I've heard your prayers and I've seen your faithfulness there as you give alms. They're a memorial to me. So here's what you need to do, Cornelius. You need to send men to Joppa, find Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, as it tells us back up in verse 43, sitting there in a house by the ocean. That's what you need to do. And what I love about Cornelius's when he comes out of this vision, the angel who spoke to him departed. He called two of his servants, a devout soldier among them, and attended them. And he said, y'all have to go. Just as the Lord said, we find immediate obedience here of Cornelius. Y'all have to go, Cornelius says. Now we come then to another vision, starting in verse 9. The very next day. As those men are on the way to Joppa, the Lord has to prepare the heart of his servant, Peter, to receive them. It tells us that Peter was praying. And quite often, as we do when we spend time in prayer, he got hungry. Y'all know what I'm saying. 
And it says he was praying and he became hungry while he was praying. He wanted something to eat. He asked some to fix him something to eat. And when he did, it tells us a trance came over him. A trance came over him and he saw the heavens opened up. In order for the Gentiles to come and hear the gospel, there would need to be some barriers removed, some walls torn down, some obstacles taken out of the way. And in order for God to do that, he is going to go to Peter, maybe the staunchest of his apostles on these issues of what it means to be a Jew or a Gentile. And he's going to come to Peter, and he's going to appear to Peter in this vision. Now remember, in the Old Testament, the Lord had taught his people to separate out from the Gentiles. Be different. You are a holy people, a, a separate people. And one way they would do that was in what they ate. Their diet was to be different from the Gentiles. And they called this diet a clean diet versus an unclean diet. We find that in Leviticus chapter 11. And as Leviticus lays itself out, I'm sure y'all have read Leviticus through 20 to 30 times. So as it lays itself out, he says, You shall be holy to me, for I am the Lord and have separated you out from the peoples that you shall be mine. And they displayed this separation out from the peoples through what they ate in many ways. And so here comes the vision. The vision appears to Peter, and as he is in this trance, the heavens open because God has to move Peter here. The heavens open. The blanket comes down like this great picnic from the sky. All of these animals are on this blanket, and what he tells Peter is simple. Rise, kill, and eat. In just this moment, what the Lord is doing what the Lord is doing is he's declaring all of those foods that were unclean in the Old Testament and just this moment through this vision to Peter, he is declaring them clean. This barrier for the Gentiles because they eat these things, they're unclean. Therefore, the Gentiles can't even have time with them. They can't even welcome them into their house. So in this moment here, the Lord is saying, all of this that we have said was unclean is now clean. Peter obviously is going to rebuke this, balk at this idea. What are you telling me? I've grown up my whole life believing in this tradition that was given to us in the Old Testament that all of these foods are unclean. How is it that I can, I can now just simply say I can eat it? Peter balks at this. And the Lord comes to Peter because God knows best. And God says what God has made clean, do not call common again. You see, the one who can make things that are unclean clean is the Lord God Almighty. And he says, these things are now clean. Y'all do realize it's at this moment that bacon is now declared clean. What a powerful passage. Three times, three times the Lord does this just as he's done to Peter before three times reinstating him, teaching him, emphasizing this point. Peter, it's now free. The gospel can go. It's not just about food here either. It's about welcoming the nations back. God has prayed provision for the cleansing of the nations through the sacrifice that he has provided. And because they have been cleansed, now they are clean. And there are no more barriers to reach the nations. We're not to separate from them. We're to save them. 
We're not to be pulled out of them. We're to go to them. No need for the barriers. No need for the barriers of Leviticus. Now for God's Savior has come and his plan is unfolding right before your eyes, Peter. And as the guests arrive, Peter invites them into the tanner's house. They show up, and this is no small thing, by the way. Already you can see Peter at work because it would have been wrong for Peter to invite Gentiles into the home of a Jew. But already the barriers are breaking down here. God is breaking down the barriers for the gospel. The gift back in Acts, you see these barriers being broken down all throughout. The gift of Barnabas there in chapter 5 to reach more people with the gospel. The call of the first uh, the first deacons in chapter 6, breaking down the barriers between two ethnic groups within the church, the reaching of the Samaritans, those who were outside of Jewish tradition as well, the, the reaching of the eunuch who, who was cut off but now has been brought in, and now we have the reaching of the Gentiles, the barriers that were in place for the gospel to go forth to the ends of the earth are being systematically broken down and destroyed. There is no barrier in the way of the gospel, the Lord is saying now. And this one here to the Gentiles is the last great barrier. It's the last great one. For the nations to be reached, Acts chapter 10 must take place. For the nations to be reached, Peter must recognize that the gospel is for everyone, not just for the Jew. That this Messiah is not just the savior of his people, it's the savior of all peoples, and he must be proclaimed everywhere. Whatever barrier you think is in the way of the advancement of the gospel, that is only a perception in your mind. It is not reality in the truth of God. There is no barrier. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can receive salvation. And what we see here also is that Peter is obedient. Just as Cornelius was obedient and he said, you must go find this one. Peter, I got to find out what he needs to tell me. Peter is obedient. But Peter's obedience is all the more special to me because Peter is obedient even when he's uncomfortable. He balked at this idea. He grew up his whole life. His tradition has said the opposite. And now in a moment, as the heavens opened up and comes down, his tradition has been smashed. And the Lord is saying, now is the time. Peter is obedient even if he's uncomfortable. And let me say to you, outside of our comfort is often where God is working. Outside of our comfort is often where God is reaching people. Outside of our comfort is often where God is doing his greatest and glorious work. And one of the great dangers we fall into, especially even, and I'm preaching to myself here, especially even as American Christians, is we can ease into the comfort of this life and this world and we miss the glory of God and his work around us. Peter could have easily said, I'm not doing that. That goes against everything I've ever known. This trance was something else. This, this vision was from somebody else. This was something different. He could have tried to rationalize this away. But Peter, even in the midst of his uncomfortableness, invites the Gentiles into his house, welcomes them in. And God has shown us, Peter said, 
Cornelius said, God has shown me too, Peter. And they talk about how God has ordained this moment. You see, from the very beginning, God had the intention of saving the nations with his good news. And this very moment becomes the picture of that. God has brought this about. And just as we've talked about all through the book of Acts, we see it here again. Who's the actor in, in, in Acts chapter 10? It's God. He goes to Cornelius and tells him, you got to go to Simon. He goes to, to Peter and tells him, you got to welcome this guy in. The barrier has been torn down. He brings these two together. God is the one orchestrating the salvation of his people in every way. And my friends, he has not stopped orchestrating the salvation of his people. If you are a child of God today, it's because God has saved you, not yourself. It's because God has redeemed you, not you redeeming yourself. It's not in any other thing for salvation belongs to God himself. If we're saved, it's because God has done it. And he may have orchestrated this very day in your life. You may be in this room today, and I'm sure you are by the very working of God himself to bring you to this place. And maybe you put barriers up in your own life. Maybe it's the traditions of your past. Maybe it's some idea of what you think it ought to be. Maybe you've put some barriers up in your own life, but those barriers are only walls of your own making, and they cannot stand the power of the bulldozer of the gospel who tears it all down and levels it. They cannot take it. Which brings me to my second part here. Because as they come together, Peter and Cornelius compare notes. God showed me. Let me tell you what God showed me. And now Cornelius says, now you tell us what God has sent you for. For we are in the presence of God, he says in verse 33. Tell us what he's come sent you for. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. This brings us to our second point. God, from the very beginning, has, has the plan to save all people, all nations. And God saves all people, all nations, by whoever calls upon his son. God saves all who call upon his son. Verse 34, he starts this. Peter's sermon, obviously, is highlights. I had somebody tell me one time, man, these sermons in the book of Acts are short. We can read these quickly. Your sermons aren't that short. These are just the notes, y'all. Just the main points. And here he does it. What does he say from the beginning? God did not show favoritism, a lesson Peter just learned the day before. The barrier has been taken down. God does not show favoritism. In fact, your response to God is what matters. Not your race, not your condition, not your place in society. None of those things matter now. It's only how you respond to God that matters, Peter says. How do you respond to this? Your response not only to God, but in particular to his son Jesus, for he is Lord of all. And in this passage, all obviously means all nations, all peoples. It's Jesus that everyone must answer to. And if God is going to save, his plan is to save the nations, he will save the nations through his son who is Lord of all. God saves all who call on his son. And he does. And how does the offer of salvation come? 
The offer of salvation to Cornelius as Peter begins to present it is the same message that he's been preaching to the Jews. In other words, this offer of salvation that comes is the same for the Jew and for the Gentile. There's no extra hoops the Gentile has to jump through. There's no extra things they have to do. There's no extra boxes they have to check. It's the same message that he's been preaching here to the Jews is the same message he proclaims to the Gentiles. If you Gentiles are going to be saved, it's on the basis of Jesus' life and ministry, he says. It says this in verse 36. He says there, he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of all, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was witnesses. God was with him. I read the wrong line. Here we see that salvation comes on the basis of Jesus' life and ministry. His life and ministry was a demonstration of his power. God was with him. It was a testimony of his person. He's bringing in the kingdom, ushering in through healing and through making things right that were wrong. He's giving this picture. He did not live an ordinary life. He lived a sin-free life. He gave what we call active obediences. Obedience. Jesus' life was actively seeking after to please God obediently with every walk and with every step ushering in the kingdom of God. It's because of who Jesus is and what he came to do on the earth that we can be saved. And he goes for more than that. We're saved on the basis of Jesus' death, he says in verse 39. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Here we're witnesses not only of his life and ministry, but we're witnesses of his death. And, and how does Luke uh, give us this picture of his death? It says he was hanging him on a tree. A deliberate reference, I believe, back to Deuteronomy 21, where it tells us cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree, giving us this idea that someone who hangs on a tree will receive the judgment of God, bearing God's judgment. Peter tells us in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. In other words, this picture here that Peter's giving us is that this Jesus received the curse that we deserve because of our death. He lived the perfect life in his ministry before us. He went to a cross not because he deserved it, because he took the wrath of God in our place. He had no ordinary life. He had no ordinary death. And salvation comes because of that, but not only that on his life and ministry, on his death. But then he says salvation comes on the basis of his resurrection. He says God raised him. They, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but then verse 40, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. God raised up. Our Savior, Jesus, who hung on that tree, cursed, God now raises him victorious, which demonstrates that he fully satisfied the demands of God and his judgment on the people's sin. He fully satisfied the demands there. And so his death is seen as in the place of a people, a passive obedience, and his resurrection is seen as victorious over that cursed tree, the death and judgment that Jesus faced is now 
met with a victorious resurrection, Peter says. He's not a ghost either. He appeared. He ate. He drank. We saw him. We are witnesses. Salvation comes on the basis of Jesus' life and ministry, on the basis of, of his death on a tree, on the basis of his resurrection. Salvation comes on the basis of your relationship to Jesus Christ because he is judge of all. He's judge of all people. As Peter says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Peter says this is why we preach. Because the whole story is about him. The whole message is Christ. The gospel has come. The bears have been torn down. And so even though you are not a Jew and a part of that tradition, this Savior who has come from the Jews is for all peoples. And so if you believe in what Jesus did in his life and ministry and who he was, if you believe that he died on a tree for your sins, if you believe that he rose again on the third day, if you believe those things and you trust in him, then you have life because it's all about Christ. All the prophets, he says, bear witness to this. In verse 43, all the prophets teach us this. And forgiveness is only found through his name. What matters about me, what matters about you, really comes down to one thing. What do we believe about Jesus, Peter says? That's it. In a world that is desperate to find identity, and they look for identity in this place, in that place, anywhere and everywhere, and in so many ways they screw up what it really means to be identified with something. And here the scriptures are telling us the only identity that truly matters for me and you is whether or not we are identified with Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection. Because he will judge all peoples. And if you are identified with him, then you are saved. And while he was still speaking, the spirit fell on those who heard what's called sometimes the Gentile Pentecost here. And the spirits, God's spirit applies the work of Christ to the heart of all who would believe. Notice here what I've said salvation is God's work this passage shows it God the father ordained the plan and gave the promises God the son carried out the plan accomplished it on our behalf God the spirit applies the work of the son to all who would believe as the spirit falls on them they receive life and salvation through God's the proclamation of Jesus and the work of the spirit in their heart this is the spirit's great work Jesus said in John 16, 14, the Spirit will glorify me. The essence of the ministry of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus, to point us to Christ Jesus. What the Spirit does is it takes the work of Christ and applies it to our lives so that Christ is glorified in our own very hearts. The Spirit, as Paul said, is the guarantee of our inheritance in Ephesians 1.14. When the Spirit comes in, it's a guarantee of what we have received. That Spirit that dwells within us is, is this uh, idea or simply an earnest, if you will. If, if you're familiar with loans and the way banks work, you give an earnest for a loan. You give a down payment for a loan. He says in Ephesians 1 that the Spirit comes and is the down payment of what is coming for us. 
Within us, it lives to point us to Christ, to cause us to live for Christ, the inheritance of the promises of God and a future with him. The Spirit guarantees that, but even more so, as Galatians teaches us, as Paul is understanding who are the people of God, here we see the Spirit comes into us and guarantees the inheritance of the blessings of heaven, and in that there are no distinctions. For he writes... For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. It's through the work of the Spirit in our life that we have a guarantee of the inheritance of God in glory. It's through his work. He's applied the work of Christ into our very hearts so we know all the promises of ours, all the guarantees of heaven, all the glories that await us are ours. And when he says there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, all the, he's not breaking down any distinctions that we have. What he's saying is the inheritance that is ours is not determined by our ethnicity, it's not determined by our gender, it's not determined by our socioeconomic status. The inheritance that we have have is determined simply and solely by the work of Jesus Christ and the Spirit applying it to our lives. Anybody can have it that calls on the name of the Lord. This inheritance is for all of us. And here Peter looks as the Spirit descends and he says, man, why or how could we stop these people from being identified with Christ in baptism when we see they have the same Spirit we do? They've received the same we have received. My friends, this is what God has done to save you. He has made promises from the beginning, and he has kept every single one of them. He has sent his son Jesus to live an active, obedient life, to die a passive, obedient death so that we may be redeemed to the glory of his name, crushing our sin and our greatest enemy. He has sent Christ, and he has raised him up to where he now is on the throne, and we all must answer to him. And so anyone who believes in Christ shall be saved. And even more than that, he sent that hound dog of heaven, if you will, to hunt us down, the Spirit of God, even when we were running, even when we weren't looking, even when we thought we were okay, the Spirit of God comes and takes the gospel of Christ and applies it to our sinful hearts and changes us. God so loves you that he has pursued you even to this day, even to this moment, a relentless pursuit of his people. Acts 10 testifies to that truth, to God be gloried in our life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your name for your promises, for your truth, for your Son, Jesus Christ. For you are good. And may you be glorified even now, Father. Some here, some here, Father, need to trust you for the first time, but you have pursued them even to this place. And so, Father, may they recognize today it is futile to run. And why would they want to? For there is salvation in no other name. God, may they turn to you. And Father, as Peter says in this passage, this is what we bear witness of. 
God, maybe someone here today needs to be shaken out of their comfort just as Peter was to go where you are working to proclaim your name. Do that even now, Father, in the work of your spirit in each and every heart. For again, God, you be glorified in this place.